Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I could do that. Which one? This one? This one? We could do that. Anything for you, sir. Oh, the stand. Okay. Watch this. I'm going to have that thing on the floor yet. Okay. There we go. See, they don't let me use this because you wouldn't be in the right time. That's the truth. Okay. We are looking at the end of the chapter in all of the Bible that deals with when we assemble together as a local congregation. I already started on that last week. There is a main theme. It is that we are together to build up one another. Motions can be a part of that, and there is absolutely no problem with that. But it always has to be intelligible, understandable. It has to be mature and useful and orderly. That's the three points for this morning. We're going to look at each of these. I am not going to spend a lot of time on each one of them because uh, next week, I will tell you ahead of time, we're going to take everything we've been talking about spiritual gifts and we're going to try, I'm going to try my best to make it so practical that when you leave here, there will be some tools and some other things you can use to help evaluate your life to see where you fit, what is your spiritual gift, and where you fit in, and how you should and could use your spiritual gift. As I go through here, you'll recognize that this is not talking about a pastor or the elders of the church. It's talking about the whole church, all people attending the church. One of the things that I heard a long time ago when I was a young man, it's uh, John F. Kennedy was uh, making a speech, and he said, Don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He didn't invent that, but he made it famous in my lifetime. I like to take that. Don't ask what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. And that's this chapter of Scripture. And uh, it's very clear. We've talked about a number of things. So if you haven't been here before, you go, there's some gaps in what you're saying. I understand that because I've already dealt with it. Don't want to go back over them uh, again. But uh, there will be some gaps uh, in what I'm going to say simply because we've already covered those things. But the first thing we're going to look at is when we assemble together, we are to be mature. Why do I come up with that? Because it actually uses that word in verse 20. But we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. It says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. However, remember I said this chapter has two things that keep coming up. The word edification and the contrast. And here he's going to say, it's a contrast. It doesn't say but. It could say but, but it says, however, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind, that is with understanding, that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Notice. The, the gift of tongues was totally in operation when this was written. We looked at that. It has come to an end. I'll touch on that for a moment uh, later in the sermon. But he's saying, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I'm going to tell you something. On the, in the contrast, when I'm in the congregation, 
I want to speak words that everyone understands. If it was only five words, I want you to be able to understand them, rather than going on with 10,000 words. Peter V comes to my office door every now and then when Stephanie comes into the, uh, the office. And he sits there, once he warms up a little bit, he sits there and jabbers. I, I, I think he might know. Peter doesn't think he knows what he's saying, but I think he might know what he's saying. I haven't a clue as to what he's trying to get across. But he says, you know what? It didn't help me a bit other than it makes me smile and it's funny and, and those kinds of things. But he is absolutely acting like a child. He's doing his best to communicate. But it doesn't help me any. Like someone, if they stood up and started speaking in tongues, I wouldn't have a clue as to what they're saying. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the tongue. It would be a language I know. And Paul said, when I'm in the church, I want to make sure that people understand what I'm saying. I was told a long time ago that, and we would all agree, that we speak so we can be understood, right? That's this. But I've taken a step further. You speak not just to be understood, but you speak so as you cannot be misunderstood. Now, I got, I, I got a side uh, view uh, permission to say what I'm saying next. I'm married 44 years. And after 44 years, my wife and I can still talk right past each other and have no clue as what the other person is talking about. And that's in English. We both know each other. Uh, it just is that way. You know what happens in church? I have people walk out of here and say, I have no clues to what you said today. <sighs> that, that's a little frustrating because I thought I did a good job, but maybe I didn't. The whole point is this. We need to understand that if it's going to be, and the key verse in this whole chapter is, let all things be done for edification, building the other person up. But that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that whatever we do, we speak in a mature manner. Not babble like an infant or a small child, but so that other people can understand what we're saying. So that we can, and the word used here, is instruct someone else that we can teach. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in your thinking. In other words, don't be immature, yet in evil be babes. Isn't it amazing how much time we can spend trying to figure out how to connive around something? He said, forget that. Act like a baby. Act immature in that direction. But in your thinking, and here's the word, be mature. If you're thinking mature, you're going to speak mature. That's the bottom line. The next uh, passage that's here, I've already spoke on it before, but I'm just going to go over it very quickly. In verse 21, it says, In the law was written by men of strange tongues, and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28. Israel was being judged. Uh, the enemy was at the gate right outside the wall. And uh, Isaiah said, you know what? I am going to speak to you in a language you don't understand. And even so, even though you don't understand, you still don't listen to me. You're still not obedient to me. Here's the point. They were a nation under judgment. They were a Jewish nation. 
And God said, you won't listen, so I'm going to have people speak in a way that you don't understand. Now, that's important as we go to the next, the next part of this passage. Because, indeed, Jesus had told the people when he was on earth, and you'll find that in Luke chapter 19 and also Matthew chapter 23. He said, this generation is going to be destroyed. I am going to have the whole temple... The whole city of Jerusalem is going to be torn down uh, the temple that there won't be one stone on top of another stone. He said, I'm going to leave this generation desolate. That actually happened. Why? Because they had rejected Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to bring judgment. Utter, complete destruction. And not only did he destroy the temple and the city, but the nation went out of existence until 1947-48. You know what? When God says he's going to do something, he does it. And he had said to these people, you are unbelievers, you're Jewish, and you're unbelievers, and you're under judgment. And how did he show that? By speaking in tongues. How do I know that? Because that's what this passage says. It says in verse 22, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe. That is totally usually taken backwards. It's like, I'm a, I'm a believer and I speak in tongues and that makes me spiritual. That is just not what the Bible teaches. It says tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. What kind of unbelievers? The verse that, we, that he quoted says they were Jewish people who did not believe and God said you're under a judgment. That judgment ultimately came in A.D. 70 when Titus, the Roman general, came in and did that devastating uh, uh, thing that he did to the city. He tore, it all, it tore everything down. And the nation was dispersed and it didn't exist as a nation anymore. So it did happen. But at this point, that hadn't happened yet. And so when tongues were being spoken, anyone that knew what the Bible said, what, what God had said, what Isaiah, I mean, what Christ had said, what Isaiah had said, would know that this is a sign that you're under judgment. It's time that you get right with the Lord. Then it goes on to say, the second half of the verse, but prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. He said, the tongues are a sign. It says, you're a generation under judgment. Repent. But prophecy is to build up the church. It's for those who are believers. I'm going to say a couple of things. You may go, whoa, I don't know if I like what you're saying, but that's okay. When we assemble together, and you're going to see that word assemble here a number of times. When we assemble together, it is not a seeker-sensitive service. It is not an evangelistic service. It is not just a worship service or just a Bible study. There are people that, that, and they've told me this, I don't like singing. They don't sing. They stand there like a statue when we're singing. And uh, I, I just have to disagree with them. Because when we gather together, it's for a number of things. You're going to see that in a moment. But it's not just a Bible study. I'm not anti-Bible study. I'm glad for Bible studies. That's not why we've gathered. That's not the only reason we've gathered. And it's not just emotional. Even though I have no problem with emotion. And it is for the... It is for the building up of everyone that's there. We need to understand that. So, when we get together, it's to build us up. It's for believers. The revelation that we have is to to help us, to instruct us, to strengthen us in our faith. 
so that we will be mature. The second thing is, when we gather together, it is to be useful. That's where I started uh, with my introduction. Verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church should assemble, we're going to see that word assemble a number of times. It is in essence what we would call a worship service. Um, if the whole uh, church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or an unbeliever enters, they will say you're mad. Let's start with that. The word mad, and I'm not making this up, means they're going to say you're insane. You're lunatics. You're, you're just really crazy. Literally, you're out of your mind. Why? Because it would be like Peter coming up here. Peter, not, not Pastor Peter, Peter the fifth. Okay? Pastor Peter, he better say the right thing up here. But, but if Peter, young Peter came up here and he started jabbering like he does in my office, you'd all go, what in the world has this church come to? You know, what's the problem? Something isn't right. Because an ungifted person may be a believer, but they don't have the gift of interpretation, so they cannot figure out what's going on. They cannot interpret the tongues, neither can anyone else. Or it says an unbeliever. I already mentioned this is not simply a Bible study, uh, but it is also not an evangelistic sermon, service, or Normally, my sermons are not evangelistic in the normal sense. It's not like Billy Graham, for example. His sermons are evangelistic, basically. But if an unbeliever comes in, he should be under conviction by whatever is happening. Sure, without Christ, without the gospel as the center of what we do, uh, we have a problem because we're, we're trying to do it ourselves. When people ask me, what kind of church are you the pastor of? I, I just simply tell them we're a non-denominational independent church. We're Bible-based and Christ-centered. And if you want to find out about the rest of us, show up, feel free. You can see it for yourself. That's how we operate. But here it says, if this person doesn't understand the language, or they're an unbeliever, they're going to come in and say, you're, this is ridiculous. It's, you're crazy. You're a maniac. But verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is, now notice what happens, he is convicted by all, he is account, called to account by all. Notice, this is general. You are not, by the way, don't ever do this at Garden Chapel because, you, first of all, you drive me out of my mind and I will have to talk to you. I've never seen anybody do this, so, but just don't do it is somebody comes in, you've never seen them before, and you go up and you get right in their face and you start telling, I saw you and you were speeding down the highway and you beat your wife or, or whatever it is. You know, I saw you come out of bar last week. You know what? That's not what this is talking about. It's simply this. When we gather together as an assembly... Our whole countenance, our attitude, what we do, what we sing, what we preach, how we shake other people's hands and give them a hug and welcome them, all of those things should say to that person, wow, I don't have the power to do this on my own. Because they should see God working in us. They should see the salvation of Jesus Christ and they ought to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through us and go, wow, I don't have that. That's what I need. You see, this is infectious. And it brings conviction. And it calls people to account. Why? Because they realize they cannot do it on their own. If we're living for the Lord, that's the kind of life we will have. 
I'm not telling you that's easy. That is really, really, really hard. But it can be done. How do I know? It says so right here. And I know God didn't lie to us. And then it goes on to say the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. You see, anyone that walks through those back doors or comes into any one of our assemblies, they should say, this is a God thing. God is among you. God is here. God is working. God is doing his thing. And you're being obedient and you're being faithful. Now, I don't know if this guy got saved or not that it's referring to, or these people. They might have, but it doesn't say that. It's just there's going to be an acknowledgement that God is doing something that is above and beyond the normal. That's what it should be. It doesn't give us any specifics right now. It's going to, but it's just simply saying this guy is going to fall on his face. He's going to recognize. He's going to worship God. What does that exactly mean? I don't know. All I know is he's giving worth to God. He's acknowledging God. He's acknowledging God is higher than he is. And we should be the catalyst. You see, we're either a walking libel or a walking Bible. One of the two. You can't really be neutral. You're either with him or not with him. That's what Jesus said. You're either with me or not. You're not with me. That's who we need to be. Notice again, I want to just say this one more time and then quit. It doesn't say the pastor and the elders. It doesn't say the praise team. It's the whole assembly. It's all of us. Should I be a leader in that? You better believe I should be. I should, set a, I should have a standard that's higher than for anybody else. On the other hand, I will tell you that if you lower your standard... Uh, by the way, don't use me as a standard... Sometimes I'm not a real good standard. Take this as a standard. But the truth is, you can expect that your pastors should, and your elders and the leaders, should be a step above. They should be taking the lead in this kind of thing. And that's what we should be doing. So then, in verse 26, so there's now another result. If we're going to live that way, and we're going to assemble that way, and it's going to have that kind of effect on people, what do you do? So when you assemble, and it says that again, each one of you has a psalm. What's a psalm? Generically, it means to strike an instrument, on a string on an instrument, like a guitar, for example. Is, and it's been used that way in Scripture. It's also used as any kind of music or music accompanied by an instrument. Either way, truth of the matter is, when you come into the assembly... We would call that part of the worship service. The singing, the music, special music, praise team, a song leader, congregational singing. You know what? If you're going to sing, it's for God's glory. And you know what? If somebody comes in, doesn't know us, and they see you standing there going, okay, when's the music going to be over? You know what? That doesn't send a message that, wow, God's a great God. Yeah, it doesn't. So guess what? Everything we do has an impact, and there's no way to get around that. So it says, you know what? When you assemble, and you're singing. Someone has a teaching. One of the biggest things we do at church is teach. It's not the only thing. It's 
not an hour-long Bible study. It is a worship service. People are singing. By the way, that's part of instruction also. There somebody has a teaching. Somebody has a revelation in this context. It would probably be somebody with a prophecy. And then it says somebody has a tongue, has an interpretation. In other words, that's the only gift that has two parts to it. If you spoke in a tongue, you had to have an interpreter. We'll get back to that in a moment. But notice, and if you mark in your Bible, or even if you don't mark in your Bible, I'm encouraging you to do something right now. Look at the end of verse 26. Let all things be done for edification. To build up and be useful in another person's life. If you come into the early service, you're most likely not going to get a handshake when you walk in the door. Joyce Logan is going to be there and she's going to give you a hug. Now I got to tell you, she wasn't there this morning and I'm missing something in this assembly this morning. Because what she does is from the heart. By the way, you can be a total stranger the first time you walk in and she gives you a hug. And she doesn't ask you if you want a hug. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm glad you're here. Guess what? That's not teaching. That's not standing up here springing special music or any of those kinds of things. You know what? It's somebody doing what God gave them to do. That's not it. Anything. When you shake somebody's hand, you say, how are you doing? You better stop and listen to find out how they're doing. And if they say, I'm having a hard time, say, can I pray with you? Stop right there. Stop right there. Can I pray right now? I do that with the tractor pull guys, and it's not even an assembly. If one of them says to me, hey, I'm having a hard time, I'm, I have, I'm, there's something wrong with me. I say, can we pray right now? I always ask them. Can we pray right now? Not a single one of them has ever stopped. Right in the middle of everybody else. Everybody else is watching. You know what? If you can do that there, you can do it here. That would make a difference. People would see that God is certainly among you. God is certainly doing things. And then it goes on. But anyway, underline, mark, do whatever you want. The key is let all things be done with, for edification. We're going to end this chapter by let all things be done decently and in order. For edification, decently in order. The opposite of chaos and confusion. I'll get to that in a moment. But anyway, moving forward. So, we need to recognize God's working. We need to be orderly in the church. That's how this ends. There is a lot of things, there are a lot of things that we do when we gather together. And he's going to make it clear that all of them need to be done in an orderly manner. Are there spontaneous things that happen in an assembly? The answer is absolutely yes. There are also things that should never be out of order. There are things that should never be out of order. Verse 27, picking it up. The word if, it says, if anyone speaks in a tongue. You don't need to know this, but you're going to get a very small Greek lesson. There are four ifs in Greek, four uh, conditions. This is first class condition. Here's what it actually means when it says if there. It certainly will happen. It is true. It's going to happen. So when you read it that way, it makes a whole difference in what's going on. He said, if anyone speaks in the tongue, it's, basically it says this. People will be speaking in the tongue. Remember? It hadn't ceased at that point yet. People will be speaking in the tongue. You can anticipate it. It's certain that it's going to happen. 
By the way, if you still believe that tongues is continuing today, when you go to a worship service, it doesn't matter if it's Garden Chapel or wherever it is, somebody better be speaking in a tongue and there better be an interpretation because that's what this actually says. Pretty interesting. It's going to say the same thing about a prophecy. Somebody better stand up and have a prophecy if it's continuing on. All the other gifts, of permanent building gifts, they're continuing on. So when we get together, people better be exercising, teaching, and showing mercy, and giving, and all kinds of things. We'll talk about that one next week. But it says, it should be by two or three at the most. First time I ever heard somebody speak in tongues, they interrupted somebody else. Guess what? Let no one interrupt. I'm sorry, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that. It says, not let one interpret. It says, each in his turn. In other words, it's orderly. You cannot say, oh, God gave me this and I have to do it right now and I'm going to interrupt the pastor or the music or whatever else. No, in turn. It's got to be orderly. So even if you believe that some of these things continue on, it's got to be orderly. One at a time. Just like you teach your children. Take turns. Church, teach your children that so they learn that for church, by the way. That'll, that'll work. And then it says, let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let them keep silent in the church. Why? We cause confusion. Because somebody would get up and say something, nobody knows what's going on, and it's a real awkward silence after that. He says, no, sit there, zip it. Unless you know, and you've already verified ahead of time, there's someone there that can interpret, has the gift of interpretation. If not, don't be standing up and talking in tongues. See, there's order in this whole thing. It says, keep silent. By the way, we're going to see that word silent several places here. It always has to do with the opposite of confusion or chaos. It's used a number of different ways. So, you're not going to cause chaos, not a disruption, not a distraction. It all has to be orderly and useful in a mature manner. As we've already said. Then it goes on to say uh, that, you know, if, if there's no interpreter, you speak to yourself and to God. Well, all of these things are meant to be used in public, so which means you're really not going to be using it. And then verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. If you were a prophet and you had that gift, guess what? You still had to be evaluated. The other prophets who were there could say, hey, that's not from God. The other prophets need to pass judgment. If a revelation, that's a general thing. Then verse 30, if a revelation is made to another, so that would be me walking up to, I'm going to pick on Mike, I'm walking up and it's like, Mike, the Lord showed me that blah, blah, blah in your life. You know what? Mike couldn't stand up, according to this, and say, Paul, you are totally out of order. Get away from me. I don't want to hear it. Because it says he has to stay there. Because you know what? Now, by the way, if, if you don't know, Mike's an elder here, and if we were doing that, that would be chaos in the church because the elders would be fighting among themselves. You know what? Again, silence. Peace. No confusion. You're not going to be called mad, crazy, out of order. We need that. And that's, that's what he's saying. And then it says, all can prophesy one by one that all may learn. Kind of like the word instruct. Kind of like the word teach. Kind of like the word edification. You see, if I come into church, I should expect to be built up. I should expect to leave knowing more than when I came in. I remember before I was saved, 
Faye and I went to a, a church, a Bible church for the first time in our lives, walked out and I go, we learned something today. That was new to me. The church I grew up in was a pooling of ignorance. Seriously, I'm not joking. They read a scripture and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And most of it was wrong. I'm not even sure the teacher was a believer. Man, we went in there and Pastor Herbert is saying, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. I'm like, whoa, hey, we learned something today. We know what God wants. That's what we're supposed to do. When we get together, it's listening what God has to say. And us participating in a way that he's equipped us by gifting to do. That's what's supposed to be happening. And then he goes on to say that uh, all may learn and all may be exhorted. That's the word basically helped. Um, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That whole confusion and peace and silence and all that, it all works together. It's simply this. When you're done, you should have been built up, instructed, encouraged. Others around you should have benefited from you and what you did, whatever it happened to be. And as an end result, people don't leave confused, but they leave in harmony and peace and tranquility. Why? Because we see God working, God doing what he wants to do in our lives and then in other people's lives. And then, obviously, they had a uh, very early, not 1960s, women's lib movement in the church in Corinth. And he goes on to say, oh, by the way, the women need to hold their peace also. Same exact word has to do with chaos as opposed. By the way, it cannot mean you have to, women have to come in and go so they can't talk. That's not what it's saying. That would contradict very directly 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which makes it very clear that some of the women in the church were prophesying and praying. They were doing that. Here, it's saying, keep silent. Well, when you look at the context, it has to do with not being chaotic, having peace, not being disruptive and disorganized. And he makes it clear. And guys, I'm going to just say this one more time. I've said it before. If you want to know the verse in Scripture that is the strongest that says, guys, you better be the spiritual leader in your home. It's right here. Because he's saying, you know what? If your wife has something and she doesn't like it, Instead of making a ruckus in church, she is to go home and ask you what the answer is. And you better know it. You go, that's pretty doggone scary, right? (laughs) It is. Even when you're the pastor and your wife asks you those things. Whenever you see Faye do one of the Easter cantatas or uh, Christmas thing, she is asking me on a continual basis. Hey, Paul, this passage here, what does this, this mean? You know what? That's a thrill to me to be able to instruct my wife in those directions. By the way, it doesn't matter what it is. And you go, man, I don't know the Bible. I'm not a pastor. Sometimes I have to go look it up. You know what? Go look it up. It'll force you to get in your Bible. Hey, you can call the pastor and you can discuss it with him and I'll help you think it through. Peter will do that. One of the elders will help you think it through. You know what? What it'll do is require you to rise up. And not only in the church will you be building someone else up, but you will also be doing exactly the same thing in your home. And that's that's the bottom line. There are a number of passages in the Bible that talk about, and it never uses this exact phrase, but (coughs) 
excuse me, be the priest in your family, the one who represents God in your family. That's your responsibility. Oh, you have the privilege of the headship. You get the responsibility of the priesthood, the spiritual leader in your family. There are no exceptions to that. And it goes on to say that even the Old Testament, the law teaches that, that, that principle. And you go, where in the world does it say that? i got to do this really quickly, but two places that I've found it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when there is the results of sin, it says that the, your desire shall be to your husband, which is basically a desire to control the husband, and he shall rule over you. Which just simply says, there's the first time that submission idea is found. And then, if you're reading through the Old Testament like many of us are, you got to Numbers chapter 30, and you've already read this. I found it very fascinating because I knew what I was going to preach on. Is if you were a single gal and you made a vow before the Lord. And then when you get married, your husband finds out about it and says, "Uh, that's not a good idea. He can invalidate it. Yeah, he takes takes the pressure for it, but he can invalidate it. If you're married and you go off and you do something and you make a commitment of some sort and your husband hears about it, he does nothing. It stands by the same uh, token, even when you're single. If the husband finds out about it and then he doesn't say anything, it stands. So there's authority there. There's, there's ableness to do things. On the other hand, if the first time he hears about it, he doesn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. this is not a good idea. You know, he has the right to do that. So uh, those two places, there's probably other places, but those are the only two I'm mentioning this morning. But he also, it makes it clear in Numbers 30, he has to take responsibility for whatever that was. So, uh, it says if they desire anything, ask at home. Uh, it's, in, it's improper for the woman uh, to speak in church. And then, again, the context is chaos, disorderliness, confusion, those types of things. <clears throat> Verse 36. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or it has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Guess what? The Apostle Paul said, what I write to you takes precedence over everything else that happens in the church. We have the privilege of having the complete final word of God. They didn't have that. That's why they needed prophecy and tongues and all those things. Because they didn't have the final revelation. We do. And so whatever happens in the church, doesn't matter if, if you believe in speaking in tongues, if something spoken in tongues doesn't come out to match the Bible, that's a problem. If you believe in prophecy and it doesn't match the Bible, that's a problem. If you're teaching a Bible lesson and it doesn't match what the Bible says, that's a problem. Because Paul said, the bottom line is what I have written to you is is the final uh, standard that we have. And so we have a privilege that they did not have. And then he says, if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So if you will not. If you're working in the church, you're assembling in the church, and you don't recognize this as the complete and final authority, guess what? Don't recognize that person. Exactly what it says. You can't get around it. This is our standard. This is our authority. Not me. 
Not the elders, not you. The Word of God. The bottom line goes there. But he doesn't end there. Verse 39 says, Therefore, my beloved, uh, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, yet don't forbid to speak in tongues. Again, it was still a total, tongues and prophecy were totally valid, no problem there whatsoever. And then he ends with this famous one that we all probably know or heard. Let all things, notice it said, let everything, all things be done for edification. So we already know it's to build other people up, instruct them, teach them. Then he says, let all things, it doesn't mean some things, all things be done properly, decorum, uh, gracefully, honorably, and in an orderly manner. In other words, it is not confused, it's arranged, it is disciplined, it's set. It's not chaos. It's not confusion. We're not acting like a bunch of lunatics. That's, that's, what it, that's what it's saying. The end result is, we'll have harmony. We will be working together. And our testimony, think about the middle of the sermon there. Our testimony will be such that someone that walks in this congregation or any congregation that is doing what this says, people will go, wow, God is among you. He's done something in your life that I don't have. He's doing a work that I don't understand. He must be God. He's going to fall down on his face, it says, and worship God, declaring he's certainly among us. I'll tell you what, this challenges me. If it doesn't challenge you, I can't do anything about that. But this says, you know what? When I get together, I have a responsibility of helping someone else. I need to be mature. I need to be useful. I need to be orderly. But you know what? It wasn't written to the pastor. It was written to all of us. And that's the key thing. Next week, we're going to look at, hey, how do I fit in with this whole thing? Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Lord, some of these things are not easy to understand, and I totally admit that. Father, you have given us a blueprint, and you made it clear. What we do needs to be done in a manner that honors you in every possible way. One that does not just breed people who say, hey, they're a bunch of crazy people who are just doing things for the sake of doing them. No, it needs to be to build people up. We need to be a good and godly and holy example to anyone that sees us. And Lord, we need to be involved. We need to be using what you have given us for the good of other people. Lord, I pray that that would be our desire at all times in every situation. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God and be useful in someone else's life. By the way, guys and ladies, if you want to help, we can use you downstairs immediately. I'm encouraging you not to talk to your friends. Just go right down.